The Trumpet Daily Program begins right now. Today's world news, what it means, where it's taking us. I bring you the one and only possible message of world peace. This is a message of hope, tremendous hope. And he said unto me, you must prophesy again. The Trumpet Daily Program begins right now. This is a this is a massive development, Jake. The Supreme Court has agreed to take up the issue of whether former President Trump has immunity from the federal election subversion case that he is facing. Now, a unanimous appeals court several weeks ago issued a scathing opinion, a unanimous opinion saying that he did not have immunity that would shield him from the federal election subversion case brought by special counsel Jack Smith. So he asked the Supreme Court to pause that lower court decision in the possibility, with the possibility that they would take up this issue. And now we have learned that the Supreme Court will take up this issue. This means that they will hear, they will hear arguments. Many legal experts and even sources I've spoken with in and around former President Trump's legal team did not expect, do not expect that he would prevail on the merits of this. But now the Supreme Court has agreed to take up this case. Now the immediate impact, before we even know what they decide, is that this will likely further delay that trial as we go away. So this is a very significant development, somewhat unexpected that the Supreme Court has decided to take up Trump's immunity appeal. uh, There is a lot tonight to be pessimistic about. Could have said they could have ruled on this quicker. I mean, it took them two weeks to decide just this. Um, And then, uh, Joy, to your note, is that um, they have scheduled this in a a certain way in an expedited fashion, but not all that expedited compared to like Bush v. Gore. Um, This is two months. And um, so there's there's just a lot of reasons to be very pessimistic, not maybe so much about the ultimate decision, but the ultimate decision is almost irrelevant because even if they were to say that a president is not immune by delaying it so much, they are de facto saying Mm -hmm. that this former president is immune. It is frustrating to me that the idea that the U.S. Supreme Court is going to be delaying this trial for a couple of months to hear what is a very, very easy case legally. To me, it's disappointing. It's troubling uh, just because of the delay it's going to occasion in the former president's criminal trial. But instead, they've thrown a monkey wrench into the schedule. Bottom line, isn't this the Supreme Court rewarding the delay tactics and really legitimizing and a Affirming a schedule that ultimately could mean Donald Trump doesn't face trial uh, by November and thus got a kind of immunity in practice, if not in precedent. They take so long in making that decision that they are giving de facto immunity. So- that if you're not going to have oral arguments till the week of April 22nd, uh, Joan Biskupic was saying that that would mean a possibly a verdict in June. I don't, I don't know if you, if you agree with that or not, but but your bottom line is that that would mean you would not get even if that happened and they rule that he's not immune, you would not have a verdict before Election Day. Um, that the case could be set for trial in September, could be set for trial in October, could be set for trial immediately after the election. Uh, but um, I think that I think the likelihood is that it's not going to uh, certain certainly in my view, it's not going to go to trial before the election. I want to be crystal clear here about the import and significance of today's news, because I think a lot of the reporting has missed this. What happened today? This one-page order looks anodyne, right? 
It is an unmistakable sign from the MAGA majority of the Trump-created court that they are with him, that they are going to use their power to make sure he does not face trial in an election year for attempting to end American democracy. A massive delay. Just don't forget the right of Democrats to execute a speedy trial against their political opponents cannot be infringed upon. They have that constitutional right to hold off on bringing a trial against a person for a year or two. We're going to wait to see if he announces a campaign. Then we're going to bring that trial, and we have a right to make that trial go as fast as possible. And if the Supreme Court steps in and says no, they are attacking democracy. Follow that logic. I mean, that is hilarious to hear Democrats complain about the slow justice system. And in this case, it's not even going that slow. We're ta they're talking about a hearing in April, a two-month delay. We've talked about it on this show a lot. The, the justice system in America, it moves slowly. And in the court case with Mystery of the Ages, that took six years to get resolved. And here, these guys want Trump in jail so fast, they're finally complaining about how slow that system works. And then look at the double standard. If you, if you walked through an open door on January 6th, you walked into the Capitol, the people's house, and in that sense, it's, it's where your representatives go. If you walked through that door, you could still be in a jail cell awaiting a hearing, awaiting trial. That constitutional right you have to a speedy trial, it doesn't apply because COVID, because MAGA, because you're a Trump supporter. But when it's our turn to persecute Donald Trump, we have a right to a speedy trial, to force that on Donald Trump. What I love about this story is the Supreme Court is just not intimidated. I mean, I, they could go either way in that decision about immunity, but for them to just step in and say, well, explain to us why we need to get this resolved so fast. And then if, if you ask them that question, it's already come up before, Jack Smith wouldn't answer it. Well, why do you need this done so quickly? What's, what's the haste? Oh, well, there's an election coming up. Okay, well, that's political. and we, We're not going to be moved by that. <laughs> the Supreme Court just says, eh, we'll take our time. It's nothing special about this one. We'll treat it just like every other case. Mr. Gerald Flurry, I just wanted to remind you of this quote. This was from January 2019 in the Trumpet Magazine. Is America's Supreme Court in Bible prophecy? He says, as I wrote in our previous issue, that confirmation, this is about Justice Kavanaugh, that confirmation process was a calamitous display of lawlessness and disorder in America. It demonstrated the stranglehold the devil has gained over the radical left. Yet, as I wrote, even in such tumultuous times, God is saving America temporarily through Jeroboam. The fact that Kavanaugh was actually confirmed despite all the protests shows that to be true. Radicals want to control the courts, especially the Supreme Court, and God upset those plans. He has a plan of his own. I believe Mr. Kavanaugh's confirmation indicates God will likely see that President Trump has a second term. And you'll see that theme come up in a, in a few other things that we'll talk about later on in the show. But look at God's hand in that. I think it was Scalia who died. 
coming into the Trump presidency. And that was when Republicans had a majority in the Senate and they delayed and they pushed off that, that confirmation hearing. I think Obama nominated Merrick Garland, who's now the attorney general. And Republicans pushed it off and they said, wait till after the election. And then Trump is able to get Neil Gorsuch in there. And then I don't remember who it was that resigned. Um, not, maybe it was Kennedy that resigned. And then that's where Kavanaugh came in. And then this article's written January 2019. And then just months before the November election in 2020, Ruth Bader Ginsburg dies. And again, it's the same scenario where Donald Trump is able to, he's in that position where he can get a, a, another justice confirmed very quickly before that election even occurred. So he gets three justices in there. I mean, just so many of those events, you can see God's hand working there. And we'll talk about a few more details about that. I forgot to say hello, by the way. Welcome back to the Trumpet Daily. I'm Sam Livingston. I will be your guest host for today's show. Mr. Flurry is on the college campout, as he mentioned yesterday. If you have any comments for the show, remember to email those to td at thetrumpet.com. We've got a few stories we're going to talk about. Some of them we've hit on already this week. Obviously, that Supreme Court uh, decision to hear Donald Trump's immunity case was the big story last night. We'll talk a little bit about Joe Biden's non-cognitive test, his, the latest from his uh, physical exam, and then more about the crisis on the border. This is another quote from America Under Attack on the Supreme Court. He says, one detail, this is Mr. Gerald Flurry, one detail in Amos's prophecy could provide a clue as to how Donald Trump will recover the presidency. I believe this prophetic account in Amos 7 implies that there is a conservative advantage in the Supreme Court, one that favors Jeroboam. During his presidency, Donald Trump selected three justices, Gorsuch, Kavanaugh, and Comey Barrett. It turned the orientation of the court more conservative. This could work to help fulfill this prophecy. After the 2020 presidential election, several cases came before the Supreme Court that could have helped overturn the fraud that had been committed, yet in every case the court declined to hear them. This demonstrated the justices' lack of courage and underscored the fact that there is not any helper for Israel. However, we cannot overlook the statement in the prophecy of Amos 7 about the role of the kingdom's court. And then just skipping ahead a little bit there, talking about this reference in Amos 7 to the kingdom's court. He says that that's referring to the Supreme Court. This reference strongly suggests to me that the court will play a decisive role in returning Mr. Trump to the presidency. Somebody needs to take a case against the voting machines to the Supreme Court. Amos 7.13 indicates that it is that court that will make the decision. Then God can get Mr. Trump into office. That will surely happen soon. And it's been fascinating. It's been inspiring. Awesome to see over the past five, six months, all of these cases finally working their way up to the Supreme Court. And in a few of them, the Supreme Court showing a little bit of backbone. Like I said earlier, in this case, the Supreme Court, I don't know how they're going to decide on that immunity case. I mean, it could go either way. They do tend to definitely let politics come in there. They'll give Trump a victory, and then they'll give the Democrats one, and 
even if they decide against it, it's not necessarily that devastating to Donald Trump because all it means is that Jack Smith's investigation can continue and then a trial can eventually ensue and then they have to still prove that Donald Trump is, I don't even remember what all the charges are, um, but then there's another thing, another snag that could get hung up where they're trying to prosecute him for obstruction of a congressional uh, proceeding. And then that also has to go to the Supreme Court. And Trump's tactic, smartly, is let's not even argue those things. Let's just delay it, put it off, keep, keep pushing it down the road because these are bogus charges. Just wait till I'm president and take this tactic of delaying it. And the Supreme Court, I mean, they seem like they get it, and I, I don't even know if they're trying to you know, be friendly or give a favor to Donald Trump. They're just following the normal rules that they would for any case. I mean, Jack Smith, he wanted this thing expedited, remember? And he couldn't explain to them why he wanted to skip the appellate court and go straight to the Supreme Court. And the Supreme said, no, you, you got to play by the rules like everybody else. Justice is slow in this country. You go down to the appellate court. The appellate court, they, they blew through that in like just a couple days. That doesn't, it doesn't move slowly when you've got leftist judges trying to get Donald Trump. Then suddenly this, this slow moving mechanism that is the United States government can move very, very fast. And they, they breezed right through it, wrote this highly political uh, ruling, these three judges, and that may even be the reason the Supreme Court is taking it up because they could have just, you know, made it a lot more unbiased, that appellate court, but in their decision, they, they include all of this politically charged language, but, well, could Donald Trump could, you know, release SEAL Team 6 and could go just kill Americans on, on U.S. soil. Just all these nonsense scenarios. So if you're the Supreme Court, you're probably looking at that and just saying, well, that can't be the, the standard that we go by. We're going to take this up. And then that could just be another trap in that sense because they get so filled up on their anti-Trump rage. Had they just made you know, a normal ruling or a normal decision on the merits of that, maybe the Supremes don't take it up. I don't know. This is from the New Republic. It says, Supreme Court throws huge wrench into Trump trial schedule. The Supreme Court, with its three Trump-appointed justices, agreed Wednesday to weigh in on whether former President Trump can claim presidential immunity to get out of his federal election interference trial. The court announced in a brief order, it was just a page long, that it would hear arguments and issue a ruling on Trump's presidential immunity claim. Until the Supreme Court does so, the January 6th trial is completely on hold according to the order. Like we heard in that montage, this could be they'll he have the hearings towards the end of April, and maybe that means they want to make their decision and have that announced. I think that usually comes around the end of June is when that, uh, that schedule is for the Supreme Court. Or it could be delayed even further. But the, the idea or the plan for the Democrats that they can have this go to trial before the election is disappearing. The New Republic says the high court agreed to expedite the case and hear arguments on the week of April 22nd, more than a month after the Super Tuesday primaries. It's not clear why the case is beginning in April. It could take months before we get an actual ruling, potentially by June at the earliest. <laughs> they put it in April because there is no hurry. 
The, the, the regime media and that montage at the start, well, this isn't like Gore v. Bush in 2000. That, that had to be done in weeks. That had to be finished. There's an inauguration coming up. And they didn't have that urgency in 2020 either. So I, I wanted to include this story in here because they're going after Donald Trump because he's challenging an election. He's, he watched November 3rd. He watched what happened that night, just like all of us. He has a lot of unanswered questions. And to make it, to prove his point even more, the regime media cracks down on anyone who challenges the election. So then you've got to raise all these red flags, obviously. Well, why are they so sensitive about that? Can't get a judge to even hear a case, just throws them all out uh, for lack of standing, a procedural argument. Doesn't even get to present a case. And then on top of that, for raising all of those issues, he's charged with insurrection, <laughs> attacking democracy for doing those things, for wanting the rules upheld. And then this story comes out yesterday. This is about early voting in the state of Delaware. Now, in, in Democrat strongholds, they really like their voting rules. Once they solidify power, they want control. They want those rules that ensure they continue to stay in power. This is from ABC News. It's titled, Delaware's early voting and permanent absentee laws are unconstitutional. It says laws allowing early voting and permanent absentee status violate Delaware's constitution and are invalid, a judge ruled in a lawsuit brought by a state elections inspector and a Republican lawmaker. The laws are inconsistent with our constitution and therefore cannot stand, Superior Court Judge Mark Connor declared in a ruling late Friday. Uh, let's see here. So they don't like these laws. In Pennsylvania, it's, it has the same issue. It doesn't even matter if the General Assembly decided that these laws can be enacted. They have to, they have to literally change the state constitution if they want those laws to be enacted. And that requires turning a vote over to the people of the state. Well, they didn't do that. So until you can change the Constitution, even the state assembly or these general assemblies, they can't just decide what the rules are going to be. And this judge in Delaware says <laughs> absentee voting and this per or permanent permanently implementing that goes against the state constitution. We're just going to uphold the rules that we have. Judge Connor found that a law allowing in-person voting for at least 10 days before an election violated a constitutional provision stating that general elections must be held on the Tuesday following the first Monday in November. It says, our constitution provides only one such day, not any day or series of days the General Assembly sees fit, according to this judge. It's election day. That's the way it's always been. That's the way we've all known it to be. But now if you take that approach, you're anti-democratic. You hate the Constitution. You're an insurrectionist if you believe that elections should be held on one day. Continuing from this ABC article, it says, State attorneys argue that the General Assembly has authority to enact voting laws, but Judge Connor noted that the Constitution says those laws must be intended to secure secrecy and the independence of the voter, 
preserve the freedom and purity of elections, and prevent fraud, corruption, and intimidation. The defendants failed to demonstrate how early voting accomplishes those goals. So here's a judge. It doesn't even take a lot of backbone. All he has to do is say, I'm a judge. My job is to uphold the rules. I don't even get to create the rules. I'm just here to uphold them. And that judge just says, that's all I'm doing here. And you couldn't get anybody to do that in 2020. They were so intimidated. They were so afraid of the rioters. They were so afraid of what uh, uh, Hayes, Chris Hayes would say about them on MSNBC. We don't want them to say anything mean about us. No chance that they were going to get involved. And like we've said on this show, I mean, you've got now four years of seeing what the Joe Obama regime really wants to do with America. Mr. Flurry was talking about that earlier this week. Obama loves the position that he's in. He gets to implement all of these, this crazy leftist radical Marxist agenda, and Biden just takes the fall for all of it. Speaking of Biden, he had a surprise physical exam yesterday. It was a surprise. Nobody knew about it. And then after it happened, everybody said, well, this was his routine annual physical that he had to go through. And he, he goes through the exam and everybody's wondering, well, did he take the cognitive test? He's got to take the cognitive test. We all see him. Uh, no cognitive test. The doctors assess he doesn't really need it. L this is how uh, the, the regime reported on that. Clip five. President Biden had his annual physical yesterday, and his doctor says the results show he is fit to serve in the White House. Dr. Kevin O'Connor emphasized that, quote, an extremely detailed neurologic exam revealed no signs of trouble. But the president did not take a cognitive test. That process, as it relates to, uh, you were asking me about a cognitive test. As it relates to that, look, um, you know, the president doesn't need a cognitive test. That is not my assessment. That is not my assessment. That is the assessment of the president's doctor. Uh, that is also the assessment of the neurologist, uh, who has also made that assessment as well. And, you know, and you've heard us say this, and I'll reiterate this, the president's doctor has said, if you look at what this president, the president who is also the commander in chief, he passes a cognitive test every day. Every day, we're trying to get back to the norm that it was it used to be, where doctors don't come to the briefing room. It is not. It is not the norm. It is not. It has happened a couple times over the 35 years, but it's not the. Norm. I think. Uh, I think folks need to understand that the president passes again a cognitive test every day, and he is able to do the work uh, every day uh, that is rigorous. That is more rigorous than it would be for any 15-minute clinical uh, clinical appointment. No new concerns about Biden's health, despite constant assertions by Biden's political opponents about his health. Gail? Nancy, are you hearing that people were surprised that he was not asked to take a cognitive test? Is that just no big deal now? I think people were wondering about it, but uh, apparently, according to his personal doctor and a neurologist, they didn't believe it was necessary. So he had a, a whole host of other tests and examinations, but that was something they didn't feel that they needed to look at. In fact, the White House press secretary says he gets a cognitive test every day in the Oval Office, basically based on the job that he does. Seriously? He passes a cognitive test every day is the line they're walking away from. Remember Joe Biden? Just watch me. 
Just watch me. We're all watching and we want the cognitive test. I think that is what most people would say after watching him pass a cognitive test every day. And then apply the Trump standard. She, she says there, we want to get away from the norm of having the doctors out here every day. Remember how often Donald Trump's doctor had to be out there? Remember how often they were we need the 25th Amendment. We've got to have the 25th Amendment. He walked slowly down the ramp. Remember the ramp, the wet ramp with no guardrails? And Trump, he, he slowly shuffled down that ramp and days and days probably weeks, perhaps months. What is wrong with the president of the United States? Take that standard, apply that to Joe Biden. That's just a bit. How could you possibly think? How could you question his mental stamina? How could you even want a cognitive test? That is a Republican talking point founded on a lie. Again, the media are not the media. They are the regime. That... How can you possibly say, we don't even want to hear from the doctors. We, the doctor said he doesn't need it, and we're not going to ask questions. It's not our job as the media to ask questions or to be skeptical of a doctor. <laughs> he said it. We believe it. If you don't, you're a bigot. It's that simple. That, that is how they think of you, the American citizen. How dare you ask a question? We're the regime media. Would we ever lie to you? And it's, it's put out there right in front of your face every day. I mean, you can see something is wrong and they get out there and we play the clips of them telling you nothing's wrong. He's fine. You're just believing more fake news. <laughs> the doctor said he's fine. And it's our responsibility as the media to not ask any questions. It's to just repeat what the doctor said. We went to journalism school to learn that. Then you bounce over to the, the Hunter debacle. He's, he's at the Capitol, has a hearing behind closed doors. And remember how much they wanted that public hearing? Oh, it's got to be public. He's not coming in to do it unless it's a public hearing. Well, now they don't really want the public hearing. A lot of the Democrats are saying, uh, we're just going to keep this behind closed doors because now they can control the narrative. They have absolute control to come out and say whatever they want, exactly the same way Adam Schiff was during all the Russia hoax. They had hundreds of hearings, 2017, 2018. Adam Schiff would come out and just say the craziest things, and no one is allowed to fact check him because they're all closed, it's supposed to be secret, and the Republicans weekly just, well, it's, Schiff isn't exactly right. And so, no, he was absolutely lying. And now this is what they're doing. This is uh, clip number eight. This is the Democrats, after that hearing, rushing out to Hunter's defense. Clip eight. Republicans are in search of direct evidence so far that has eluded them that the president was involved in Hunter's foreign business dealings. There is no evidence uh, whatsoever. But this has been a comedy of errors from the beginning. Look, if they could impeach Hunter Biden, they would. They would love to impeach Hunter Biden, uh, but they can't. What did Joe Biden do? Nobody can tell us. But this has nothing to do with Joe Biden. It has nothing to do with Joe Biden doing anything incorrect. Again, nobody can tell us 
What is the high crime or misdemeanor? This is literally all about trying to hurt Joe Biden's poll numbers in the press by constantly talking about the mistakes of his son. But there is no link to Joe Biden, no matter how many times they run the Newsmax. All they want is a spectacle. And the spectacle right now is putting us in a sense of danger, not just in this country, but in this world. They're so desperate to humiliate the president that they started asking the president's son, personal details about a divorce that happened almost 10 years ago. All they do is lie. And I can tell you there is some lie that they are working on spinning coming up out of here. I want to be very clear that first hour of this much anticipated testimony was the nail in the coffin to what is a complete bogus and sham impeachment inquiry. This is the end. This is, you know, this is should be the end uh, of this nonsense. So it is not simply there's no connection to the president, which we've known all along and which was made clear again. They are now trying to scramble to find anything um, to substantiate their fairy tale is what we should call this. Clearly, clearly baseless and bogus. The only thing that the Republicans have left What we just witnessed over the last hour was, I think, a deep sea fishing expedition because the Republican case has completely fallen apart over the last several weeks. Uh, They've got nothing. That's what we just witnessed for the last hour. They're wasting time, squandering an opportunity to do that because they've never accepted Joe Biden as the president. And now in this last Hail Mary effort, they're going to try and pull off something. I promise you, past this prologue, it's not going to work. And look how upset they are when Republicans Republicans aren't even doing to them what they have done to Donald Trump. As far as I know, it's just, it's like an impeachment inquiry. It's not even impeachment yet. And they can't, they can't stand that they're close to being exposed. And they just come out and they'll say whatever they have to say to control the narrative. It reminds me of Isaiah 59, none calls for justice nor any pleas for the truth. They trust in vanity and speak lies. They conceive mischief and bring forth iniquity. <laughs> that You just can't trust anything anymore. And, and really, that's for the most part on both sides now. It's hard to find the truth. <laughs> you have to prove it for yourself. And in a lot of those cases, the truth is pretty obvious. <laughs> like, look at what Hunter and Joe are allowed to get away with when it comes to the documents cases, the, the classified documents. Look what Hunter is allowed to get away with having or sitting on the board of these foreign companies, selling out the country. And then Donald Trump values his building as every other realtor does. He wants it to be more valuable. It's his. Of course, it's, if, if I had a possession and it's mine and it means something to me, it's more valuable to me than it is to a bank. So I'm going to say the value I want it to be. Now, of course, they're all, there's always that sort of manipulation and trying to get a loan um, in that real estate as we've played sound bites of before. Trump, for that little thing, even if he, even if he was being malicious and trying to lie about it, normally it would be like a multi-thousand dollar fine and you move on with it. Not so when it's Donald Trump. It's half a billion dollars in cash, which they've said that he can't even put that off. He can't even delay it, another judge has ruled. So he's got to come up with, 
he's got to leverage some of his buildings or something or get loans to pay to put that money down while he appeals it. And he's not allowed to do business in New York. He's not even allowed to get loans from banks in New York. I was reading an article this morning talking about how this is this is like a medieval form of attacking a person, attacking your political opponent, and that you're depriving them of the ability to earn their livelihood. I'm sure Trump will be fine, but if you're worth $3 billion and they want to take away $500 million, that's a sixth of your worth, a sixth of your income. I mean, that would hurt anybody. But then the, the bans on his ability to even function in that state, that, that is medieval, as this, as this journalist or commentator was saying. Anyway, getting back to more on the Biden border. This is Joe Biden is rushing down to the southern border today. Why is he going down there? Well, Donald Trump announced that he's going down there and he can't be stood up by Donald Trump. This is USA Today. It says playing catch up on immigration. Biden chases Trump to the Mexico border. President Joe Biden is in the awkward position of once again copying former President Donald Trump. Both men will head to the U.S.-Mexico border Thursday. Trump had first announced his visit to the border town of Eagle Pass. Then, lo and behold, Biden later decided to visit another Texas border city, Brownsville, on the exact same day. Now, Joe Biden is going to a dark blue area. He's going to an area where the border hasn't, or the, the, the stream of immigrants hasn't been as big of a problem. And Donald Trump is going right to the epicenter of this issue. This problem is getting so, so bad that Democrats finally have to talk about it. And as we know, anytime there's a problem, it's Donald Trump's fault. If Donald Trump didn't exist, we would have utopia. There's been this string of crimes committed by illegal aliens, and it's getting so bad, it's getting so much attention, Democrats have to come out and talk about it. And Joe Biden was supposed to talk about it yesterday, supposed to talk about the murder of Lake and Riley, but instead talks about gun violence. And then watch as the Democrats pile on and blame the border crisis on Donald Trump. Clip six. And finally, my plan goes after the scourge of gun violence in America. I've taken more executive actions to stop the flow of illegal guns than any other administration in history. And we beat the NRA when I signed the most significant gun safety law in nearly 30 years. Our plan's working, but we still have much more to do, as everyone at this table knows. And that's why we're here today. My administration's going to choose progress over politics, and communities across the country are safer as a result of that policy. There is no greater responsibility than to ensure the safety of families, children, communities, and our nation. Happens. I think whenever we're dealing um, with violent crime, there is a sense of outrage, of sadness, and of loss. But I think the important thing to focus on is any one instance shouldn't shape our overall immigration policy. Uh, we think the bottom line is the way to have dealt with this uh, border, the challenge that we see at the border, what we see with this immigration, a broken immigration system that has been broken for decades, is if we, if Republicans have moved forward uh, with um, uh, with the bipartisan deal that came out of the Senate. But instead of doing that, Donald Trump, they listened to Donald Trump, the former president, and they made it about politics. They did not make it about an issue that majority of Americans care about. We have done the work, 
uh, to make sure we're dealing with a broken immigration system. The Republicans have gotten in the way. They have gotten in the way. And that's what we continue to see over and over and over again. And so, look, this is a serious, this is a serious matter. That's why the president's going to the border. The president was at the border a year ago in El Paso, visiting the border back in January 2023. He put a comprehensive, a comprehensive immigration policy on day one. This really, the, the folks who are getting in the way here are Republicans. They are getting in the way. The one thing Trump claims he has, which is strength on the border, Biden has offered and the Democrats have offered the best and most balanced border security bill that's been out there in 45 years. And the people that are siding with the cartels and the coyotes and the smugglers and all the all the catalog of demons the Republicans talk about every day, the one guy keeping that border open is Donald Trump. And look at them now say, how could they politicize the border? How inhumane of them to turn this into a political uh, tool. Joe Biden does it with uh, every mass shooting is politicized. And there should be fear because if that, if that, I think his name was Ibera, who killed Lake and Riley, if there wasn't an open border, it's correct, there would still be murder in the United States. But Lake and Riley's murderer would not have been in the United States. And then you talk about. <laughs> blaming Trump. Listen to this clip. This is from uh, Mayorkas, Homeland Secretary. Um, this is what he said September of 2021 when they got into office and were bragging about demolishing all of the strict rules Donald Trump put in place on the border. Clip seven. And I'd like to understand from you what Trump era immigration policies have been banned, ended, reversed, and if any investigations are underway by you. Uh, so we have rescinded so many uh, Trump immigration policies, it would take so much time to list them. We can't even go through all of the rules we've gotten rid of. We, we're restoring America dignity and respect. Well, look at the fruits. <laughs> they want this problem. And then Joe Biden is over there talking about guns. Lake and Riley was not killed by a gun. She had her skull bashed in. And you want to talk about tracking illegal weapons, let's get back to Fast and Furious and all those guns going down over the border. If you can't even follow the illegal human beings who are breaking American laws by crossing that border, if you can't even keep track of them, how are you going to keep track of illegal guns? And a lot of these illegals are now using guns. We'll talk about that in, in just a minute. This is from America Under Attack. Says the very afternoon after being sworn in, Joe Biden signed 17 executive orders aimed mainly at destroying what President Trump had done for the American economy, energy, border, and education. He's gone on to advance Obama's agenda of blotting out America's history, traditions, and biblical foundations, allowing immigrants, including criminals and drug smugglers, to pour over the border. Today, many people recognize the immense threat posed by illegal immigration and the fact that radical leftists are actively using it to weaken the country. I mean, it's like a form of terrorism to, to make people afraid, to put terror in them. I mean, that 22-year-old was just out for a jog in a mid-sized city in Georgia. Athens isn't a huge city, maybe a couple hundred thousand. Out for a jog and gets attacked and killed. Trump was absolutely right. They're not sending their best. These countries 
I mean, you look at what El Salvador is doing with their gangs. They're imprisoning everybody. I mean, if you're a thug in El Salvador, you're probably trying to get out of there. And if you're in Venezuela, you probably want to get out of there too because you can just live freely in the United States. And, and there's a lot of wealthier people to rob from. The New York Post, the migrant surge brings killers and criminal gangs victimizing innocents like Lakin Riley. Says Venezuela's notorious, uh, this is a gang, I can't pronounce it, and El Salvador's feared MS-13, what retired, MF, what retired FBI assistant director Chris Swecker calls prison-spawned gangs are threatening to take over American cities. They're the most dangerous gangs on the planet, warns Swecker. Gang leaders setting up crime, crime rings in America come out of the muck and the slime of the South American prisons. While law enforcement officials are here warning us about the collapse of public safety, left-wing politicians deny there's a problem. Public safety is visibly spiraling downward. Migrants beating cops in Times Square, migrants running prostitution rings, migrants on mopeds robbing pedestrians, migrants shoplifting and stripping retail stores. And now a migrant who recently left New York has been arrested for killing a Georgia nursing student. Not everyone violating the border is a hardened criminal, but President Biden's open borders are allowing the worst to get in. And there's this story uh, by Charlie Kirk just listing some of the recent attacks by illegal aliens. There's the Lake and Riley assault in Maryland. This is gang violence committed by these gangs that come up from El Salvador. This two-year-old boy was walking with his mother, and these two gangs start shooting at each other, and they kill this two-year-old boy. Both of the, those gangs should not have been able to make it into the United States. Hardened criminals, illegal aliens with illegal guns that Joe Biden says he's cracking down on, that he's making American cities safer. The Venezuelan illegal Renzo Mendoza, who raped a 14-year-old in Virginia, the Honduran illegal Orellana, 19-year-old, raped a 14-year-old in Louisiana. And they're coming from all over the world. Kirk says, Joe Biden let the entire third world into America, so now America is becoming the third world. There's an article at the Center Square about the tens of thousands of children that come across the border that are not accounted for. Joe Biden... He wants to track illegal guns. He wants all those guns to have numbers on them. He wants that registry. He wants to know where every single gun those law-abiding Americans have. But they can't keep track of these children coming across the border. Tens of thousands of them, they just go to an alleged sponsor, and there's no follow-up. There's no vetting of who that sponsor is. And there's no way to check on them once they're given to that sponsor. This article, state attorneys general say more than 85,000 children are lost at the southern border. Just coming up from these other nations who are cracking down on crime more than the United States is. And they're bringing the third world up to the United States. That Lake and Riley case, there was the mayor of Athens. We played a clip from him. He had, he had more to say in that. Uh, press conference where he, he talks about how, well, we're not actually a sanctuary city. That's just fake news. And listen to how upset people are in the room with him. Like I said, Athens is not 
a huge city. It's east of Atlanta, about 200,000 people. Why would, why would an immigrant who comes up from the southern border go to New York City, get arrested there, and then decide to go to Athens, Georgia, if it's not a sanctuary city? What, what is he going there for? This is, clip, uh, this is from the mayor of Athens saying that the city is not a sanctuary city, so don't, don't blame that policy. This is clip number three. About this notion of a sanctuary city, and so I want to lay some things to rest here today. This term sanctuary city doesn't have a sole legal or procedural definition. And so that term means different things to different people depending on the context of the discussion. Many of the elements, many of the elements, we're here to listen. You're a liar. We're here to listen. Liar. You're be time a for liar. Questions. You are guilty and got blood on your head for this murder, sir. Many of the aspects that are ascribed to sanctuary cities. We know what sanctuary are things means. that are disallowed by Georgia law. And we contribute a document every year to the Georgia Department of Audits indicating that we do not correspond to these definitions under state law. Yes, you do. And no policies have been adopted Please by the mayor and lying. commission You're that have created sanctuary city status in sir. Athens. You need to resign. One protocol resign. that sometimes arises. Resign, resign now. Resign. You will allow protocol, this to happen, sir. One protocol that you sometimes arises. The sheriff's office approach has varied over the years. But this question, again, in the purview of the elected sheriff, honors detainers when issued by a federal judge or federal magistrate. In the main, I caution against conflating immigration and crime. The data demonstrates that the two are not connected. He says the sheriff listens to those detainers when the federal government issues them. This is what the sheriff of athens Clark County said in 2020. It is not my intention to cooperate with detainers. I see it as the sheriff's responsibility to protect the community. We can't help with the culture of fear in our community and expect our community to respond and help us in situations. It is not my intention to cooperate with detainers. And the mayor says, there's no formal decree that we became a sanctuary city, so this is just a lie. It doesn't have to be. Some states do it because they want to make a statement about how rebellious they are. And a lot of these people, it's just an unwritten rule. How would Ibera know that? Is, he watches Fox News every night? Is that really what these criminals get up to? <laughs> they go home and they watch CNN, MSNBC, and Fox News, and that's how they know. It's word of mouth. They know where to go. They know where the other illegals are and where they can commit crimes and get away with it. That's why all those New York City thugs, when they were arrested and released, ran off to California. They're free. They, they don't listen to the, they ignore Immigrations and Customs Enforcement. All the detainers, you can't even put them on there because they're gone before they can even put out that warrant. And then listen to what the mayor of Athens goes on to say. Clip number four. I want to say that we center our work here in athens Clark County in people's humanity. And part of everybody's humanity is the expectation of human dignity. While 2019 was not that long ago, you might remember the dynamic we were living in in the late teens in this country, where you had the President of the United States speaking in the most vile terms 
about people who were foreign born. And you had that notion oh, metastasizing in places like Charlottesville. <laughs> what we wish to do is dignify everybody's humanity. There's nothing in that resolution that creates... They are laughing at him and mocking him because he can say all the nice-sounding left-wing platitudes he wants. What are the fruits? And you see it. Charlottesville. It was Donald Trump who described them in the most vile terms. I watched a clip yesterday. It's from Donald Trump. I think even before he was president, he said, I'm not against immigration. I'm against illegal immigration. We're all immigrants. We all come from another nation. It's about the process and following the laws. And if you're not going to follow the laws, you should be punished for not following the laws. Dignify everybody's humanity. <laughs> that's, what, that's what they say about the, the migrant who bashed in the skull of a 22-year-old girl for no apparent reason. The, the apparent reason, according to the investigators, is that he was startled because she fought back when he tried to attack her and panicked. He's just a human being. We've got to show love and empathy for them. And Donald Trump doesn't do that because he doesn't, he's not welcoming to lawlessness. What are the fruits? They can say that all they want, but what are the fruits? And more and more people see this is not working. This is destroying our nation. And a lot of people are seeing what is covered in this book, America Under Attack. You cannot say that was just, it, the border is just an accident. Joe Biden, they want to blame Republicans. You could do it with some executive orders. It's your responsibility as the President of the United States to secure the nation. It's called national security. And you don't have that if you don't have a border. And look at how this administration has to bend the knee to some of the most radical uh, components or the most radical agenda you've ever heard. I mean, we talked about Michigan yesterday. Just a few thousand Radical leftists, that radical left, or those, those radical Muslims in Dearborn, 100,000 voted uncommitted in that primary yesterday. And Joe Biden is rushing to appease them because he only won Michigan. Well, I, I cheated in 2020, but in 2016, it was just 10,000 votes that made the difference in that state. And now these, these people are... are not going to vote for Biden. They're not going to vote for Trump. They're just not going to vote. And now Biden has to do these radical things to try to win them back. I was going to play this clip from Mehdi Hassan. It's too long and it'll make you even more upset. Um, but he talked about why Biden needs to hurry and rush to appease those voters in Michigan right away. He needs to ditch Netanyahu so he can get and, and really what that all comes down to is Joe Biden just has to make sure he can secure Minnesota and Michigan. That's where those slim majorities really come into play. The Federalist says, why Biden is letting Dearborn extremists influence American foreign policy. He talks about, again, some of the, the radical imams there in Dearborn, Michigan, some of the crazy things they've said, anti-Jew, anti-Semitic, pro-Hamas group. Joe Biden can't denounce that. He needs them. He needs 
those few thousand votes. This is a title, an article from The Guardian. The longer Biden enables Netanyahu, the more his presidency is at risk. Would they say that about Ukraine? Would they say that about any of these other wars? That the United States needs to ditch Israel in its time of need so that Joe Biden can win over a few thousand Muslims in Dearborn, Michigan? And he is bending the knee. This is the Jerusalem Post. U.S. opens investigation into Israeli company making Iron Dome parts. This isn't even a very big company, but it creates these parts that are critical to the Iron Dome defense system. And the United States, they want to investigate it. They want to have a look. The United Nations, UNRWA, you get a free pass. You can employ uh, Hamas terrorists, New York Times, all of these other businesses. If you're freelancing journalists who were with Hamas on October 7th, that's fine. Free speech. We're not going to infringe on that. If you're helping to defend Israel and you're a small company, you're going to be investigated. In an unprecedented legal proceeding, the American government opened an investigation into Finkelstein medals and is examining the government's conduct. Now, there's just a lot of additional details there, but I have used up all of my time very quickly. I had a, another segment that I wanted to get to, but I've run out of time. Uh, again, if you haven't yet requested this book, America Under Attack, please read this book. It will give you the clarity you need in watching world events and watching and understanding what's happening to the United States of America. If you don't have that book, you can call us toll-free at 1-866-930-3024. As Mr. Fleury mentioned yesterday, tomorrow we will have a special show about the exhibit of King David and Solomon. And it's a really a special program. I hope that you all tune in to watch that. If you have any comments for today's show, you can send those to td at thetrumpet.com. Thank you so much for joining us, and we'll see you again tomorrow. <laughs>